If you are in the 81% of aspiring authors out there, stop aspiring and start writing with Readsy. Readsy allows indie authors to find and work with the best publishing professionals, from developmental editors to book cover designers to publicists. Just sign up for an author profile, browse the extensive marketplace of professionals, find the best fit for your project, and set a collaboration in motion. And with built-in contracts, protection, and mediation from Readsy, finding qualified freelancers, editors, designers, and marketers as a self-published author just got a lot easier. Go to readsy.com today to sign up and set your first collaboration in motion. That's R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com. If you can, create your own niche, create your own audience. I still don't really understand how I do it. And so if you're going to do something unique, do it well. That sort of story is inspirational to a lot of wannabe writers out there who feel they have a book in them but are living a totally different life at the moment. So magical realism is a good way of presenting things that you can't understand. Uh, <clears throat> or you can't understand well enough to just write an essay about them. Taking a book the whole nine yards, from an idea in your head to words on a page, from a scribble on a napkin to a listing on Amazon, that's easier said than done. But it's also easier than you'd think. I'm your host, Casimir M. Stone, and this is Readsy's Best Seller, the podcast demystifying the process of self-publishing a book for aspiring novelists everywhere, one episode at a time. This is Addendum 4, Flashback. Words, by definition, are a tool for defining concepts that might not always be easy to define. I know I just used a bunch of different forms of the word define in that sentence, which ironically made the sentence's meaning more difficult to define, so scratch all that, let me just give you an example of what I mean. Let's talk about the word flashback. If you just had a flashback, what happened to you, really? You experienced a memory, something hard to define in itself, and something about it made it more vivid than other memories. That's a tricky thing to sum up in a sentence, let alone a word. But that's what's so cool about language. At the turn of the 20th century, someone somewhere experienced a memory that was more vivid than other memories, and they wanted to talk about it, so they took a seemingly unrelated word, one that refers to flames in a furnace moving backwards unexpectedly, and they connected the two. All of a sudden, a very complicated concept felt concrete. These days, flashbacks aren't just easy to define, they're everywhere. Maybe that's because of the Arabian Nights tales. Many of them contain the earliest examples of literary flashbacks long before the concept was something we even talked about. Or perhaps you can thank the filmmaker D.W. Griffith, who first employed flashbacks as a cinematic device in 1916. But for whatever reason, they've become one of the most reliable narrative devices for any writer whether in the form of clever cuts in TV shows like Lost and How I Met Your Mother, or in the form of a pensive in Harry Potter. Sometimes they even exist in podcast form. If I wanted to, I could use this episode to flash back to last season when we talked about the concept of writing to market, using reader expectations to write a book that is almost guaranteed to connect with an audience. But some authors use the opposite approach, writing and publishing a book so unique that its concept is almost impossible to define in a word, or even a sentence. 
take for example, Benjamin Davis. Ben is an American author living abroad in Russia. Well, I, I actually, I haven't lived in America for over seven years. He writes a column for the paper Russia Beyond and co-founded the popular website Flash365. He's also, as of late, an author, having recently published his debut book, The King of Foo. And the book is, well, honestly, it might be easier to just let him tell it. It's just uh, kind of like, a, I guess, a very long... Um, a very long epic poem that tracks from when I was I was born all the way until my 18th birthday in sort of a magical realism style. Let's stop there a second. I know that's a lot to unpack, and I don't think there's a magical realism poetic memoir section in your local bookstore, but let's start with the basics. What even is magical realism? Right, so magical realism is sort of implementing unrealistic or magical elements into a story and treating it as if it's real, uh, often using different things like folklore, which is what I used. Um, I worked in, in Russia, and I was very drawn to Russian folklore. Um, but the idea is that it just sort of treats it as normal. It's a writing style that originated in Latin America back in the early 20th century, when authors such as the Cuban Alejo Carpenter and Venezuelan Arturo Uslar Petri frequently traveled to European artistic hubs such as Paris and Berlin, where many of them found inspiration in the Surrealism movement. They began writing stories that weave fantastical elements into our reality, depicting magic and mystery with the same banality as everyday life. These stories, set in a world as normal and mundane as our own, but one that just happens to be a little supernatural, formed the basis for magical realism. Unlike other genre fictions such as high fantasy or sci-fi, magical realism is regularly regarded as a prestige genre and contains some of the greatest books in the Western canon, such as Salman Rushdie's Satanic Verses, Toni Morrison's Beloved, and Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude. Magical realist literature is even often used to make political statements, since its impalpable form allows the author to express ideas that might be difficult to express in a more traditional format. Sometimes they use it to make political statements. In other words, a magical realism poetic memoir is an autobiography written in short, vivid sentences resembling poetry that just happens to contain magical elements is similar to poetry, but it's not poetry. And it only took us two paragraphs plus one sentence to actually get there. But that's because, ultimately, magical realism is defined by how hard it is to define. In the words of Mexican critic Luis Leal, if you can explain it, it's not magical realism. Which brings us back to Ben. This is a guy about to dive headfirst into the crazy world of publishing with a debut book that is impossible to describe, almost on purpose. How did he get there, and why? To understand, we'll have to flash back a little further. Um, so when I first went to Russia, I kind of had a good amount of money saved up. And I knew that I wanted to spend a lot of my time writing. I hadn't been writing very much for a couple of years. 
and I decided I just kind of made a promise with myself. I was like, I'm going to write a story every day. And I can't tell you how many times I've broken promises to myself in my life. <laughs> and I, I, I had a friend who was there and he said, why don't you put it online? Why don't you put it on the Internet? I, I was very outside of the internet. I was never on social media. I was never on Facebook. I never had a blog, never did any of those things. But I thought he was like, this will keep you in line. And I was like, okay, well, that's a good idea. And, you know, very shortly after that began, after I think maybe the, the second or third story, I met an artist in Russia and his name is Nikita. And he found out what I was doing and he wanted to try drawing every day for a year. And he asked if he could do it illustrating my stories by creating a piece of art for each of my stories. And I, you know, I was, I thought that was great. So we started a project called Flash 365, where I wrote one story every day, and he made a picture to accompany that story. It was flash fiction. Hold up. To understand the rest of his story, you probably need to know what flash fiction is, too. But in honor of the genre, I'll give a very brief description. Flash fiction consists of stories with fewer than a thousand words and more than, well, two. Good? Back to the story. Um, Just kidding. Although flash fiction is a format defined by its brevity, there is a lot to be said about the genre, which has only become more widespread in the internet age, where entire stories can be told in the course of a tweet. Flash fiction stories, also called short shorts, sudden fiction, and, yes, as of late, Twitterature, do have tiny word counts, but that doesn't mean they have no substance. In fact, the defining feature of flash fiction is story movement. Essentially, it's trying to tell a complete story uh, in as few words as possible. In other words, each sentence, each word even, must be packed with meaning, and add a new layer to the story that wasn't visible at first. Take, for example, the most famous flash fiction story of all time allegedly written by Ernest Hemingway himself. In the course of only six words, he takes readers on a wild ride with the beginning, middle, and end. He starts with the setup, peels back a layer, and then pummels readers with a twist ending that drives home the true meaning of the sentence, for sale, baby shoes never worn. With that out of the way, let's get back to Ben's slightly longer story. It started out just as a fun way to keep ourselves in line by putting it online, but then people started finding it. Um, the, we were on WordPress and the WordPress platform did a couple of uh, articles on like one of our stories and then the project itself. And in Russia, a bunch of Russian magazines started writing about it. And I think that really drew the Russian audience and then it slowly grew over time to the point where by the time we finished, I think there were around 5,000 people who had been following this, this project. Uh, I, I think that project was very, very important for my writing because when you're writing every day, that's great. When you don't have anybody to check you, I probably wouldn't have completed it. But then when I had all of these people who were expecting it every day, not only did I want to complete it, but I also wanted to do better and better and better and better. And I know my grammar got better over time. I cared more about my stories. And it kind of, it ended up developing into uh, the book. Many of his stories, being written from personal experience and all, 
were connected, so he started tying them together into a novella. I was writing flash fiction, so you, you know there is still you're writing paragraphs, you're you're explaining things, and you're uh, there's more depth to it. But the, with the poem, it was like taking an axe and cutting down and cutting down and cutting down to trying to say only what needed to be said in the simplest possible way. But he didn't just pick the form of his memoir randomly or because he wanted to be as unique as possible to separate himself from the pack. He picked them for a purpose. He had a specific concept, a specific idea that he wanted to convey, and a traditional form just wouldn't do. So, like so many authors before him, he turned to magical realism. The, the King of Fu is written in, uh, it's meant to be written like a memory, trying to create the feeling of the way that I remember things, because I don't know how other people remember things, but when I sit down and I close my eyes and I try to remember my childhood, I don't have this beautiful cinematic experience where I'm seeing every individual facet of what was going on and dialogue is very clear and I remember all of it in these beautiful long conversations. You know, I, what I wanted to do with The King of Fu was to create a memory as a way to try and remember my childhood. And I, I would just write flash like just however my brain remembered that experience, I wrote it down. That's right. Benjamin Davis was, in essence, looking for a way to represent flashbacks. He came up with magical realism poetic memoir. See, I told you it was tricky to sum up in a sentence. Now, in case you couldn't guess, writing in a medium that is defined by how difficult it is to define isn't exactly a cakewalk. In fact, in Ben's case, it very nearly stopped him in his tracks before he even got started. When you go to the list of genres, there isn't magical realism there, and there certainly isn't, uh, you know, magical realism poetic memoir. And if, if I put it under poetry, it's not poetry, and I don't think it's fair to, to put it into poetry. But if I put it into memoir, well, it's not really very long and in-depth, and it isn't um, what people usually expect out of a memoir. So I, the, the, the largest difficulty with marketing it was that there isn't an established audience for it. This raises a question. Is it better to write a book with an audience in mind or write a truly unique book and then struggle through marketing it to an audience? It's a question on a lot of folks' minds these days and not just in publishing. In the business world, new companies must choose whether to take a market-focused or product-focused approach. In other words, would you rather find a niche in a market that already exists and target its consumers, or try to create a product so purposive and original that it will find an audience regardless? Truth is, there's no right or wrong answer. In general, a market-focused approach is the easier path to finding success in the short term. But those who truly disrupt a market and write something that didn't exist before can be much bigger winners in the long run. For someone who already has a clear idea of what they want to convey, a market focus makes no sense. But if you've tried and tried and can't come up with a book idea to save your life, maybe you shouldn't be so focused on the product. The trick is finding the right approach for you. And throughout my conversation with Ben, it became very clear very quickly that focusing on the product was the right approach for him. 
you know everybody who's gotten their hands on the book they they enjoy it but it's getting it into their hands that is very difficult I think his product, The King of Fu, worked so well because he didn't just set out to make a unique project. He found the right format to tell the story he had in mind, no matter how eccentric it seemed to be. You know, the genre itself is made for flash fiction. At least that's my feeling on it, because with magical realism, you can really create an understanding without having to explain a lot. So, for for example, in my book, uh, the main character grows up in a world very similar to ours. The only real difference is that he has fur and horns. He's covered in fur and horns like a, a creature. Um, but no one really treats that as though it's odd. Nobody, it's not, it's not sort of in a mystical way out of the usual. Uh, it's just that he's different. And so instead of having to go through the process of explaining the the mental angst that a character might be feeling when they feel different from everyone else. If you give a character those attributes, it, it gives you a sense of how that character might feel simply by describing them and, and placing them in that environment. So how do you find an audience for a great product that isn't easy to market? Unfortunately, there's no right answer there either. But for Ben, listening to his brother's advice, using the internet to hold him accountable, definitely helped. Like he said, if your book doesn't have a built-in audience, you just have to build one yourself. When you when you have a, a different than whatever else is out there, you kind of have to build your own audience. And luckily, we had a, a, a good audience from Flash, from Flash 365, and a lot of what came out of the book, a lot of the audience and a lot of the sales and a lot of the uh, a lot of the marketing was more, I guess, minor grassroots marketing that went with uh, the audience that we had developed because, yeah, there isn't there isn't a Facebook group of, of people who all love that genre. Uh, what, what I do appreciate about it is, you know, what I've seen from it's its reaction from reviewers, from bloggers, on in Goodreads and Amazon, and that when people get their hands on the book, they like it. Sometimes all it takes is a little persistence. That was one thing that I realized is that if you are publishing consistently and you care about your quality and you create things online, then people will eventually start paying attention. Ben told me one last story that helped me understand how he found the right words to describe something difficult to define, and how he found an audience for those words, too. The short answer? He used so few to begin with. Uh, when I was younger, I used to write very, very long stories. Uh, and I would just, you know, I would, I would write for, for pages and pages and pages. And then I would send them to, occasionally I would send them to my uncle, who was a journalist for a long time. And he would send them back just sometimes without even editing them because he would say, you're wasting so many words. You're just going on and on page after page after page. And he told me to just like cut it down, cut every word that doesn't matter. And I realized when I started doing that to a lot of my stories, they ended up being very, very short and concise and compact. And I was sort of drawn to that. And o over time, I, I got better at it and more used to it and more into it and now i i actually I'm, i have a hard time if i sit down to try and write a story that's actually significant in length um 
I, I, I find myself struggling. Look, I'll level with you. Marketing your book is hard no matter what, whether it's a cozy mystery or a magical realism poetic memoir or a surefire bestseller. Ben would be the first to admit that lightning doesn't always strike twice. What works for many authors, writing to market that is, didn't work for him. And what worked for him might not work for you. Life doesn't work the same way that flashbacks work in writing. You can't just look back into the past rewatch what's been done before, and immediately know what to do next. In the real world, things are a little more complicated than that. But that's the magic of magical realism, after all. Even in a world that is increasingly connected, where every author is reading the same marketing tips and same blog posts hoping to hit it big, some things will always be very difficult to define. I'm very drawn to to mysteries in the world, in real life. I feel like the internet in particular has made everybody an expert on the world. And everything that you could ever want to know about the world is in a listicle that you can find somewhere on BuzzFeed. And so, yeah, so I'm, I'm often drawn to places like Russia where there's lots of misconceptions around it and there is a barrier in people's mentality towards it. Uh, I, I'm not drawn to conclusions in general. I, I, I don't think that, well, I don't think that I really know anything. I, I believe that I, I, I like to question a lot of things. There is, there is actually mystery left in the world, I think. I think that's what I, I would like to, um, well, maybe I'm just trying to convince myself of that. But <laughs> I, I, would, I, would like, I would like other people to feel that way. Brought to you by Readsy, this is Bestseller. Over the course of these addendums, we'll check in with a handful of indie authors to get their unique takes on the journey to self-publication. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by me, Casimir M. Stone. If you liked it, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Our guest today was Benjamin Davis. You can purchase his book, The King of Foo, on Amazon or on his website at benjamindaviswriter.com. You can also check out his project Flash 365 in its entirety on flash-365.com. This podcast, like so many self-published books out there, is made possible by Readsy, a marketplace that connects indie authors with the tools that traditional publishing houses would usually provide, such as editors, book cover designers, and publicists. You can learn more about Readsy on Instagram at Readsy underscore HQ, on Twitter at Readsy HQ, or online at R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com. And please keep your eyes peeled for more addendum episodes, as well as the premiere of our second season, coming soon to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the podcatcher of your choice.